Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Would you join me in thanking Mark for sharing his story with us today as well? Mark was in the last service, and uh, all of his family have been a part of these services, and you talk about a miracle of God's grace. Not only is Mark a miracle of God's grace, so are we all, right? In fact, when you think about the mercy of God, a lot of times people go to church, that's not what they receive. People oftentimes go to church, they turn to religion, and they don't get mercy, they get judgment. Well, people already know where they are, and they know what they've done. They, they, they don't need to go and get judgment. People need mercy. You hear people from time to time say, man, I just, wanna, I just want what's coming to me. Not me. <laughs> I don't want what's coming to me. Are you crazy? <laughs> I want mercy. I want mercy. And the Bible talks about the fact in Psalm 85, there's a, a, a beautiful prophecy there that says mercy and truth met together. And they embraced one another and they kissed one another. And it's a strange prophecy because when did mercy and truth ever have an agreement? Truth on one hand says, man, you did the crime, you do the time. Truth on one hand says, you know what you've done, you know who you are, this is what you are, and you can never change, and that's truth. You look in the mirror and you see truth. You know the mistakes you've made, the things you've done, the things you've thought, that's truth. And mercy, on the other hand, says, yeah, I know that's true, but gosh, they have a good heart. They're made in the image of God. God loves them, he cares about them. And so it looks like these are irreconcilable concepts, mercy and truth. And yet in Psalm, it says mercy and truth met together, they found agreement, and they hugged each other. Where did that happen? I submit this morning it happened at the cross. At the cross, the truth, the reality of sin was never made more prevalent. Jesus, the Bible said, who knew no sin became sin for us that we ultimately could be made the righteousness of Christ in him. All the sins of the world were rolled upon Jesus there on the cross, which is why his father turned his back on him. And you hear the cry from the darkness of the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, God forsakes God. Jesus had so completely become sin that a holy and righteous God could not look upon sin and had to turn his back on that scene. It was the thing Jesus dreaded more than anything. It's the thing he prayed that could not or would not happen if there was any other way, that his father would never have to turn his back on the son. But because of sin, truth, Jesus goes to the cross. But in his mercy, his mercy was seen in the fact that the nails held him there, but love kept him there. His mercy was seen in the fact that, yes, he could have called all these angels to rescue him, but he stayed. He stayed because... It was the only way redemption could be effected for you and me. It would require a sinless sacrifice, and he was willing to be that one. The Bible says he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, meaning that before God ever stepped from nowhere to stand on nothing and speak everything into existence, he knew if he creates man and gives him a choice, he'll choose against him, so there has to be a way back home. There has to be a path back to God. Then Jesus said, I'll make the way. Uh, I'll make sure that that happens. And so Jesus stepped forward. 
Uh, he, he became flesh, we call incarnation. I'll see some of you at Christmas and we'll talk about that again. <laughs> hey, I'm glad you're here. But it's the incarnation. In fact, in the prophecy in Isaiah 9, Isaiah says, unto us a child is born. He came for us, unto us a child is born. That's, that's what the Christmas story is about. And then in that same verse, it says, unto us a son is given. Well, that's the cross. So Jesus stepped into the gap of where we were and where God is, and he said, I'll make a way where there wasn't any way. And at the cross, mercy and truth met together and embraced and hugged one another. And he literally did all the heavy lifting so you and I could know him. And so many times in our desire to know God, we, we, we sometimes we go about it the wrong way. We, we find substitutes and people say from time to time, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. I would tell you, you could go out to DFW airport when you leave here a little while and you can be sincere as to which plane you get on, but not all of them are going to Denver. <laughs> you better make sure you're on the right one. And so it's not the sincerity of a person, nor is it their religion. It's not your religion that makes the difference. When Jesus healed those three blind men, he healed each blind man in a different way. One blind man, he touched his eyes and he was healed. Another blind man, he took mud and he put it in his eye, said wash, and he was healed. The other blind man, he took dirt, spit in it, put it in his eye, he said go wash and he could heal, be healed. Three blind men, all healed by Jesus, but three different ways. Can you imagine them at a testimony service at a church later on? One guy stands up and says, man, let me tell you, when God goes to work, here's how he does it. He'll reach out and touch you. And if God is gonna be rallying you, he'll touch your life. That's how he'll do it. Other guy stands up and says, no, not according to my experience. I found when God wants to change your life, he'll put mud in your eye. That's how he'll do it, because that's how he did it for me. Third guy stands up and said, you're both crazy, man. When God wants to do something in your life, he'll spit in your eye. That's how he'll do it. That's how he did it for me. And out of that experience came three denominations, the touchites, the mudites, and the spitites. <laughs> yeah. And the point is we get wrapped up in religion. And we think somehow if you just associate with the right church and you, know, you identify with the right group, you know, that somehow that, that makes a difference. Other people say, well, just live a good life. You just do the best you can with the time you're given. And at the end of the day, I've had people tell me at heaven's gate, there's a big old uh, scale. And God puts one, all the good stuff you did on one side and the bad on the other. If the good outweighs the bad, you go to heaven. If it doesn't, you go to hell. <laughs> I thought about that and I said, man, I wouldn't trust the best five minutes I've ever lived to be good enough to get me in. I identify with that great theologian, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> when he said, we all got it coming. I mean, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that does good, no, not one. Isaiah said all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the eyes of God, meaning that you can't be good enough to get into heaven. What do you have to do? You throw yourself on the mercy of God. And what's interesting about it is when you think about it, God has been seeking us all along. I mean, when you look into the Bible and you ask why did Jesus come into this world, he answers the question in Luke 19, 10. He says, the Son of Man came, here it is, to seek and save those who are lost. The word lost is the most common word Jesus uses to describe the spiritual condition of people away from him. They're lost. So Jesus has been on a search and rescue mission for people who are lost. 
It's no accident you're in the room. There's no accident that all of you are watching online in this moment. God in his sovereignty and God in his providence is reaching out. He is seeking those who are, who are lost. That's what he's about. That's his heart. That's his desire. That's what he wants to do more than anything is to reach the lost. I heard about a, a large company and their, 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 uh, their internet went down. And so their IT manager was at home. So the supervisor calls the IT manager at home and a little boy answers the phone and in a whispered voice, the little boy says, can I help you? And the supervisor says to the little boy, is your dad at home? I need to speak with your dad. He says, ah, he's here, but he's busy. He said, okay, well, is your, is your mother at home? The little boy says, yes, she can't come to the phone either. She's busy. He said, is there any other adults there that I can talk to? He said, yes, the police are here. <laughs> but they're busy. He said, the police are there? He goes, yeah, and the fire department is here too. They're busy. He said, what are they all doing at your house? He said, they're trying to find me. <laughs> well, I don't care who you are or where you've come from, that could be your response to God. He came into the world to find you. In fact, I believe that so strongly that if he were, if you, listen, if you were the only person on the planet to redeem, he would have left the splendor of heaven and come to the world and suffer all that he suffered and he would have gone to the cross just to redeem you. In fact, I think his love for you is so complete that if we were all to get to heaven one day and you not be there, I think God would call all of heaven to silence and he'd look over the mass sea of humanity there giving him praise and singing hallelujah. He would call all heaven to silence and he would look out over that mass sea of humanity and here's what he'd say. One of my kids are missing. And God would bankrupt heaven and put the angels on half ration before he left you behind. You see, he loves you. He loves you more than you love you. You might not die for you, but he did. And he's been in the business of looking for you this whole time. In fact, that's what the prodigal story that we've talked about the last few weeks in church, the story of the prodigal son. It's that story that the great novelist Charles Dickens said is probably the most powerful story ever written. Well, that's not true because he said it. He said it because it's true. It's an incredible story, and you're familiar with it, how the son chose to walk away from the father. And in walking away from the Father, he left not just the Father's presence, he left the Father's protection. He left the Father's provision. He left the Father's peace. And the Father, in, his, in this analogy that Jesus gives in his sovereignty, like our heavenly Father, let him go. Do you know, you and I were born apart from our heavenly Father. The Bible says concerning us, we're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. It means that we were born with a sin nature. Have you ever noticed you don't have to teach kids to lie? <laughs> you have to teach them to tell the truth? <laughs> Remember when that baby came along, that new baby? And you put them down and you try to slip out of the bedroom quietly. You turn the light off. How do you like my slip out of the bedroom move here? You're trying to go out of the bedroom, right? And all of a sudden that light goes out and that little booger starts crying. Have you ever had that happen to you? And so you go over and you do what you do, especially with that first child. You check them head to toe. They're dry, they're full, everything's great. There's nothing for them to be afraid of. And all of a sudden, after you've done that little drill about six or eight times, you realize this baby's training me. <laughs> they're teaching me something. Listen, this kid ain't dying, this kid's lying. <laughs> ain't nothing wrong with the baby. 
And I'm just suggesting we are all those kids and we grow up with that by nature. And then we become sinners by choice. And we do that because it's fun. Hear these preachers say, bless God, sinning is not fun. I think, well, you either hadn't done a lot of it or you didn't do it right. That's just me. Sure, people wouldn't do it if it weren't fun. In fact, in Hebrews 11, it says concerning Joseph, when he made the decision to identify with the people of God, it said he did so rather than, and here's the line, enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So the Bible acknowledges there is pleasure in sin, but it identifies that it's seasonal, season's in. Someone as well said, sin ultimately takes you further than you wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. It costs you more than you were willing to pay. But we're all sinful. All have sinned, the Bible says, Romans 3.23, all have sinned. So I'm saying we were born distance from our heavenly Father. We were born with a desire to know him because that's why we turned to religion. We, we were born with a desire to have him provide for us. It's why we pray when we're in trouble. We, we were born with a desire to have peace and peace with God because when surveyed American people say it's one of the top three things they say they need more than anything is they need peace. So all of the characteristics and the attributes of God, we all desire, it's inherent within us, but we lost it back in Genesis 3 when sin enters the picture. But because mercy and truth found common ground at the cross, we now have access to that. And in the story of the prodigal, you see the father who was willing to receive the son. And you know the first step in the son getting help? It's like the first step in recovery that Mark could talk to you about. It's admitting you have a problem and admitting you need help. And the moment the story changes in Luke 15 is when the Bible says this about the prodigal, he came to himself. He didn't blame anybody. He came to himself. It's an epiphany, that moment you look in the mirror and you realize I'm the biggest problem that I face and you come to yourself where you realize I can't help, I can't lift myself out of this. I have to have someone greater than me to help me navigate through this. You realize unless you have within you that which is above you, you succumb to what is around you and you fall ultimately into what is beneath you. And there's a turning point in the pig pen. <laughs> what is repentance? What is repentance? We say repent and give your heart. What does that mean? It's Christianese. <laughs> it means to turn. It means you were going one direction and you go the other direction, to turn. Some people say, well, it's turning to God from your sin. And another one says, no, it's turning from your sin to God. I say potato, potato. <laughs> Some people do turn from their sin to God. They say, I don't go to hell. I'm gonna turn to God. You know, people that change when they feel the heat, that'd be that person. And then you have the other person who says, I'm gonna to turn to God from my sin because it's not the fear of hell, but it's the incredible hope of heaven. You've gone out to the cemetery as we all have, and you've said goodbye to someone you've loved. One of the things that sustain you through that moment is the hope of heaven. It's the hope that we have that one of these days we're gonna see our loved ones again, one of these days we're gonna be reunited with them again. It's what keeps you going when you lose someone that you love. In the pig pen, he turned. He said, man, I don't wanna die in this mess. I'm gonna throw myself on the mercy of my father. You know, it was incredible, the story of this young man, Jesus told the story, he's likened it unto God. He found his father was willing to forgive him. 
Can I tell you, God is willing to forgive you just as he's forgiven me. He's willing. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God is not willing. What about the will of God? He's not willing that any, it didn't say many, it says any, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's the will of God for every single solitary person that's ever stepped on this planet from the time of Adam until the time he calls us home. It is the will of God that everyone know him. That's his will. That father wanted that boy home. The God of heaven sent his son. Then John 3.16 says it's his only begotten son so he could get us home. He's willing not only is the father willing, you see the father was working to see that come about. Did you know everything God does in your life? He allows things to happen and he causes some things to happen, but everything that happens, happens for a reason. Someone as well said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? I believe God will use positives and negatives, good and bad, happy and sad. He used all those things to get our attention, to bring us to that epiphany, to that point where we'll deal seriously with the spiritual condition of our own heart. On one hand, in Romans 2, it says it's the goodness of God that will lead you to repentance. You start thinking, gosh, God's blessed me in my business. I've got beautiful children. I've got a wonderful spouse. I have great friends. I've got a great, I've got a great life. And sometimes it's the goodness of God that brings people to a point of saying, God's given me this. I'm going to give my heart and follow him for the rest of my life. Conversely, Matthew 5 Jesus says this, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. You're better to go into heaven with one and then the hell with two. He said, if your right arm offends you, cut it off. You're better to go into heaven with one than into hell with two. What in the world is he talking about? Is God some sovereign sadist that takes pleasure in pain? No. Here's what Jesus was doing. He was saying, listen, conversely, if it's not the goodness of God that leads people to repentance on one hand, then he'll use another method. He will allow pain into our life, and he's more just to allow the pain than it is for him to allow us to go out into eternity without him. Mark's story. I've heard other people in our church say, Bill, I don't think I would have ever trusted God had I not hit the bottom. One guy said, man, I got so far down, I had to look up to see the bottom. That's pretty far down. But the point is, one day in heaven, we're going to give him praise because of the pain that brought us to the Savior. It was the pain that caused this young man to make that turn in the pig pen and head back to the Father, and the Father was working through the experience. So don't forget this. He was willing. He was working. Something else he was doing is he was waiting. You see it when the Bible says he saw him from a way off. He saw that boy on the horizon. You know what that meant? That meant he had been watching for that kid for a long time. He was waiting on him to come home. Some of you guys, God's been waiting on you a long time. He's been calling to you for a long time. And I can tell you, you're one prayer away. You're one step away from coming home. God loves you that much. When Jesus gave that beautiful story of the prodigal, he was really, again, talking about how his father sees us. You know what the father did that's pretty astonishing? When that boy got home, first of all, he welcomed him with open arms. He didn't say, I'm going to put you on probation. I'm going to make sure. I'm going to dangle you over the pit for a little while in purgatory. We're going to make sure. I'm not buying all this stuff. I want, you're going to prove yourself to me. He didn't do any of that. Read the story. He welcomed him with open arms. You remember the thieves on the cross on either side of Jesus? One of them mocked him and the other one said, don't you fear God? 
He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You remember what Jesus said? Today, you're gonna be with me in paradise. And so I'm saying that father, he, his heart and will was to receive his son and it wasn't on a probation basis. He received him freely and he received him fully when that boy came home. And the first thing the dad did after receiving, he put a robe around him. He put a robe. You know what the robe represents? Covering. Covering. You know why that was important? This kid had been sleeping with pigs. This boy was nasty. <laughs> he stunk. <laughs> He'd been living with hogs. And the dad, the first thing he did was he covered his son. And can I tell you, man, when you make the pivot, you come home to the father, you know what he'll do? He'll cover you too. All of the mistakes of your life, the sins you've committed. Uh, the Bible says when God forgives us, he puts them as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought against us again. He forgives you freely. He forgives you fully. He forgives you finally. He doesn't just bury the ax. He buries the handle. He covers you. Wouldn't it be nice to know that my past is covered? Wouldn't it be nice to know that everything you've ever done, every mistake that you've made, God has forgiven you. He's covered you. Can I tell you, when mercy and truth met together, he made a way whereby you could be covered. You know what the second thing he did? Not only put a robe on him, he gave him a ring. You know what the ring represented? Authority. Dad said, here's my black American Express card. Knock yourself out. <laughs> Loosely translated. But the point was, he was telling his son, you're back, you have authority. You're a member of this family. You are my child. And the Bible says concerning us, to those that believe on him, to him gave he the authority to be the sons and daughters of God. You know what happens when you trust Jesus? You're a child of God. That's why if he's your partner, make your plans big. Your prayers won't scare him. He's never, he's never heard you pray about something and go, woo, slow down. You're asking way too much of me. Man, you have authority. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name that the, that the Father will be glorified through the Son, that will I do. That's authority. That's authority. And then he said, I'm going to put I'm gonna put sandals on your feet. Now, if you understood the economy of that day, they had these indentured servants and these people that would work for them. And the first thing they would do is take away their shoes because out in that rocky, arid region, it'd be impossible for them to run. First thing the father did to the son is not only cover him with his coat and not only give him his ring, but he put shoes on his feet. You know what that symbolizes? He set him free. The Bible says that the son has set you free. You're free indeed. He set him free. When I was a little kid growing up, my sister's here and, and brother-in-law and a lot of our family are here. We'd go to Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. Remember that? It's a real thing, kids. You'll have to Google that, but that used to be a thing. And we'd go to the circus and go to Will Rogers. And I remember walking in and they'd have the elephants out back and those elephants would be chained to this little stake that was in the ground. Now, even as a kid, I thought, man, big old massive elephant chained to that little stake. And then I researched it one time. I had, I'm a little ADHD, so I had to figure out what was going on with that. And I found that when those elephants were very young, they would chain them to these um, telephone poles that were anchored deep in the ground. And those little elephants would fight and fight against that until finally something broke in that elephant's head that said to the elephant, no matter how hard you try and no matter how much effort you expend, you will never break free. And once that little elephant accepted that, they never fought the chain again. And then when I would walk by and I knew that, what I would think, if that big old elephant knew the truth, the truth would set him free. 
And some of you are chained to some stuff that you could break free from. When you come to Jesus, there's nothing that can hold you back. There's nothing that can hold you down. There's nothing that you, Paul said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Let me summarize it this way as I close. There's no sin he will not forgive. None. No sin. You say, what about the sin of unbelief? Well, you know what that is? That means I've died rejecting Jesus. That's the sin of unbelief. Every other sin is forgiven. Sometimes it's called blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It means the Holy Spirit's bringing you to the Savior. He's bringing you to the cross saying, this is what Jesus did for you. Will you receive him? And when you say no, the Bible says it's like trampling under your feet the blood of Jesus. And God says, no one will walk by the cross where my son died as though it means nothing to them and die in that condition and have me welcome them to my heaven. The sin of unbelief, to die in that condition. But every other sin is covered. It's all covered. There's no sin he will not forgive. By the way, there's no problem that he won't solve. Some of you are carrying some stuff and you've got some problems in life. And I mean, you walked into this room as confused as a termite in a yo-yo. <laughs> but let me tell you something. There's not a problem you have he can't solve. Again, you've never prayed to him and said, I'm gonna have to get back to you on that one. That's really difficult. No. Look, he may not immediately answer, but his delays are not denials. He may, be, he may not be telling you no, he just may be saying not now. You over to Matt Kids in a little while and retrieve your kids. If that seven-year-old decides to drive home, you're probably gonna say no. Hope to God you do. <laughs> but in about, what, nine years, you'll be pitching them the keys and they'll be driving. So you're not saying no, you're just saying not now. That's how God works. All right, piece it together. No sin he won't forgive. No problem he can't solve. Here's the third thing. There's no burden. No burden he can't lift. Some of you brought some stuff into the room right now. You're carrying something he didn't design you to carry. He can lift that off of you. Micah said a moment ago, he's calling you to come home. He's welcoming you. You home. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us. Not just all of us, you love each one of us. And so in this moment, I pray for my friends who may never have come to terms with their spiritual condition. I pray that on this Easter weekend, they'll have a moment right where they are. Some of them are traveling, some of them are in hotel rooms, and some of them in other countries, watching online. Some in this room, some in the overflow. I pray they'll have this moment where they slow down long enough and hit the pause button on their life long enough to say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I may not have walked the same path that Mark has walked, but I still need Jesus as desperately as he did. And then you pray a simple prayer like this. You simply humble your heart and you pray, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Be a reality in my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.